Turn to Leviticus chapter 10. I don't see any visitors, so I probably won't have to explain that I am definitely third string up here tonight. It's really kind of odd because Josh planned on not being here, so he got some replacements. And there he is. I feel like he should let me fill in for the prayer and he should have filled in for this part. But anyway, we'll make a stab at it. Some did ask if they were going to get hungry tonight. Mike told me he'd packed a sandwich. You're not going to need it. We will try to get a little bit of good out of this. This is one of my, I have to say it's one of my favorite passages. It's an example that I use a lot when I talk to people. It's the story of Nadab and Abihu. I'm going to read the first 11 verses of Leviticus 10. Starting with verse 1. Now Nadab and Abihu, sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized. I'm reading the ESV. You may have the King James. I think it says strange fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord has said. Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified. And before all the people, I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. And Moses called Michelle and Elisphan, the sons of Uzzel, the uncle of Aaron, and said unto them, Come near. Carry your brothers away from front of the sanctuary and out of the camp. So they came near and carried them in their coats out of the camp, as Moses had said. And Moses said to Aaron and Eleazar and Ithmar, his sons, Do not let the hair of your heads hang loose, and do not tear your clothes, lest you die, and wrath come on all the congregation. But let your brothers, the whole house of Israel, bewail the burning that the Lord has kindled. And do not go outside the entrance of the tent of meeting, lest you die. For the anointing oil of the Lord is upon you. And they did according to the word of Moses. And the Lord spoke to Aaron, saying, Drink no wine or strong drink, you or your sons with you, when you go into the tent of meeting, lest you die. And it shall be a statute forever throughout your generations. You are to distinguish between the holy and the common, between the unclean and the clean, You are to teach the people of Israel all the statutes that the Lord has spoken to them by Moses. You probably all know this story. It's in our reading that we're having, our our, uh, Bible reading this year that we've got planned. Even you kids that's out here, you know this story, don't you? It's a story we all know. Is it just a story? You know, even the history that we read about the United States, we find out that sometimes it's not accurate. We find out that some famous person of our forefathers, the people maybe that signed the declaration, that they had some hidden things that weren't too good about them. But, you know, they they say that history a lot of times is written by the ones that win, so you don't hear everything. But this is not a story. 
Not not a fictional story. It's not a story that has some half-truths in it. It's not a story that is like some of our news that's influenced by whoever told it to, to embellish it in some way. This is true history. It's history of God's people. It's written for us. It's in the Old Testament. It's a, of a law that we don't have to follow right now. You know, maybe some of the things in the old law is still in the new law, but this was their law, and it's written according to Romans 15, verse 4, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. I'm afraid that sometimes that we look at these histories in the Bible, especially the old Bible, and we, we don't take them as being real. We think these people had different things in their lives than we have. You know, these men that died, they probably weren't little boys. They were his sons, but they were working in the priesthood, so probably married. They probably had kids. They probably had problems in their lives. They had things they had to deal with. They had politics in their, that's in everything that you do. Seems like this one's working against that. They had all these things in their lives to deal with, just like we do today. And this was a real sad thing that happened to him. Did you notice there that Aaron was not even allowed to mourn for his sons? He was starting this temple service. He wasn't allowed to quit. He wasn't allowed to mourn for his sons. Someone else took him out and buried him. He had to stay on his job because his job was to do God's work. So he had to stay there. I think a lot of the times we don't think about all the little things that happen in these people's lives when we read these stories. They have all the same hurts and wants and wishes that we do. And we need to look at how real this is. I read this story. I can't keep from wondering how good a father Aaron was. Did he raise his boys in a way that was right, was good, that taught them respect? Did he let them buy with not obeying him? You know, have you ever thought about it? There's lots of examples in the Bible of, of men that didn't do a very good job of raising their kids. Look at Eli. His kids were awful. And he just let them do evil. And wound up, they were all condemned over. We have examples in the Bible of, of people. Esau's brother Jacob. You know, I kind of think of him as a mama's boy. Y'all remember the story? But, you know, was he spoiled? Did, did Aaron spoil his boys and not make them mind? Not make them, did he not teach them the things he should have taught them? I wonder how he went about teaching them. If he did. Authority for their parents. For God, especially. You know, Luke talked about that a little bit this morning, about it's it's the parents' responsibility to teach their children how to find favor in God's sight. I wonder how he did that. I wonder if he worked it that hard. Kathy and I never had any kids. But I, I like to watch other people and see how they make their kids' mind. And there's no set right way, I don't think. It's kind of amazing to me the, the difference in my own family about how 
me and my brothers, the different things that affected us. But I, I can't keep from wondering, I read these stories about how they raised them. My dad was pretty much a because I said so kind of person. I don't remember ever asking him why when he told me to do something. Because it would have been because I said so. And I might have gotten in trouble for just asking why. Josh knows my dad. Went to church with him while he was younger. So he's kind of grinning there a little bit at that. So I, he probably agrees with that. Neither of my parents would have let me question them much. In several later years, I never known of anybody when I was a kid doing this, but, and many of you all do this, you count to your children. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I think that's showing patience. I think that's probably a good thing. It gives a child a chance to say, oh, I'm getting close to that where I'm going to get in trouble. It, it makes a line and gives them a chance to turn away from it before it's too late. You know? And hopefully you have some number. You don't just start counting to them. I've heard some of you count to your kids, and at two they turn around. So I'd say that three is probably the corporal punishment zone there. or Something bad's going to happen. I was at a family reunion, and some of my family, they count to their kids. And this little boy, he's 10 or 11, way too big to be doing this kind of thing. He found a stick in the woods. And he was swinging it over his head. And the other little kids was around him was ducking. He was about to hit him in the head. I was sitting there eating a hot dog or whatever, a paper plate sitting in it. And his mother was sitting right beside me. And she looks up there and says, sees that. She says, drop that stick. Quit that. He just looks at her. Just kept right on getting it. She started counting. One, two... Both of my grandparents kind of said what they wanted to say when they wanted to say it. And I'm afraid that came out of me. At about 13 or 14, I just looked at her and said, I bet that kid can count to 100. She jumped up and went and took the stick away from him at that point. And after a couple of years, she spoke to me again. But back to Aaron's son's. There was a point of reckoning there, and it came kind of sudden. But what caused it? The strange fire? I mean, the way we look at it, fire is fire. What was wrong about that? Well, we find there in those verses that God had commanded them. They brought fire that he had commanded not. It's called strange far in the in the old King James. It was unauthorized far. They had ignored the authority of God. The because I said so that He told them to do. You know, these people just a few years before that, when they were still in Egypt, they had forgotten God. When God told Moses to go to His people. Go back to Egypt and to lead his people out. In Exodus 3, Moses is talking to God. And he says, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what's his name? What shall I say to them? The next verse, God said to Moses, 
I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. I've always liked that. If my name was I am, who would be ahead of me? Who else? There is no one else. No one else meets that position. He is the all in all. He is God. And there's not another one. He's the one and only. Moses told Aaron in verse 3 there that we read, Those that are near me, I will be sanctified. He told them that he would be holy. He'd be set apart. He'd be consecrated. That he would be treated as special. They didn't treat God as special. He told them to do this a certain way, and they did it how they wanted to do it. That was not treating God as special. And he said in the second part of that verse that God would be glorified. In other words, he would be honored by all the people. By not doing a little thing like that, they weren't honoring God. They showed disrespect to what he had told them to do. They didn't show respect for the great I am. Do we have people amongst us today that are Nadab and Abihu's that really don't show respect for what God has told us to do? I think we do. Hopefully we don't have them in here with us. But a lot of people in the world today just don't see the reason for following God's Word precisely. doesn't make much difference. Josh gave me a funny little letter. I don't know whether he made this up himself or he found this online or somewhere. But it's an open letter from Nadab and Abihu. And it sounds so much like what we hear and what we see in the world today. I'm going to read it. An open letter from Nadab and Abihu. Brethren, it is with the utmost humility that we inform you of a change in worship practices in your normal sacrificing. Be assured that we are bringing about this change only after much prayer and study. We have recently concluded an in-depth study of the law as delivered by our brother Moses that covered 400 days. In parentheses, we might note that is ten times the length of time it took the Lord to impart this law. We have decided to bring about a change in the type of fire used in worship. We are aware that there is a standing tradition of using only one source of fire, but we, as holy priests, do not feel obligated to blindly follow tradition. Numerous polls of our worshiping clientele indicate the overwhelming opinion that they do not care whether we get the, where we get the fire used for their sacrifices as long as the service is conducted in a respectful and meaningful way. We are in agreement with this growing majority. As we cannot see how a change in fire will affect anything in the least about our sacrifices. The animal is still properly cooked. The incense is burned. 
We are of the mind that were we to secretly substitute a different fire, it would be impossible for any of the worshipers to know a change had taken place. Besides all this, we became aware of the fact that nowhere in the law does the Lord forbid the use of what some of our detractors have referred to as strange fire. We feel that the lack of such a restriction was meant to give us freedom. For those who disagree, we would ask you to show us any place in the law that tells us we cannot do something the Lord has not seen fit to condemn. We are simply asking, where does it say we cannot do this? We also wish to point out that the congregation of Israel is the only religious group in the known world that willingly limits itself to only one kind of fire. We have become the laughingstock of the land of Canaan and have been ridiculed openly by many groups. This one, only one fire, self-righteous policy has alienated us from everyone else. We believe this change will open up many fellowship opportunities. Now to set the minds of some of you at ease, we will continue to offer a traditional service using the old-fashioned fire as well as this progressive service with a new fire. As a matter of fact, we may occasionally use the old fire in our progressive service for special feast days. In this way, we hope that our older citizens are still comfortable even though they, may, they dogmatically insist on a worship style which is declining and we believe to be stunning our growth. Consider the freedom of this new practice affords us. We will no longer have the expense of maintaining a constant fire in one location. This will also make it possible to appeal to a younger audience as we discover more entertaining ways to light the fire of our assemblies. We hope you caught the little play on words there. For those who still oppose the use of a new fire, we ask you not be judgmental of our new ideas. We also hope that you will not use this change as an excuse to divide our people or stir up trouble within the congregation. We remind you that this has been well thought out and the majority of elders have signed on with us. It is true that we have not included our father Aaron in this deliberation, but we were well aware of his tradition-bound views and still plan to leave him in charge of doing the traditional service anyway. We also have not consulted Moses, but his humility is well known, and we are confident he will want to uphold the majority decision in this effort to improve our worship. We are very much for looking forward to our first new fire service, we hope you will make a special effort to be present to witness a new age of enlightenment in the church of Israel. We know God will be watching and we will anticipate that his joy over seeing his people take a great step toward throwing off the burdens of binding tradition will be an electrifying experience. See you there. Bring some extra barbecue sauce for we think this is a new practice that's going to spread like wildfire for freedom's sake. Sign Nadab Nabihu. Doctors of Divine Law and Progress. I know that's kind of long. It's got a P.S. It's short. But after a successful changeover in this part of worship, future plans include the, or the ornation of women priests, inner idol fellowship activities with the various pagan groups nearby, and a special service called It Doesn't Have to Be Passover to Celebrate Passover Anymore. Kind of foolish, kind of funny, kind of sad. Did you all see the parallel between what a lot of people in religion do today? 
You know, and it's easy maybe for us here to look at what people are wanting to include as religion and the reasons why they do it. And just, oh, look how bad. But we got to make sure we don't do that. It is so easy to say, this right here will help things. Yes, it's not in the Bible. Yes, God hasn't told us to do it. We don't have authority for that. But look what it will do. But once you start accepting one or two things, where do you stop? If you, if you take strange fire, say it really doesn't make any difference, how long before you're doing inter-idol fellowships with the various pagan groups? I know some of you are young, but I can remember when many of the denominations would condemn the things that they're doing now. I can remember well, you would never hear about one denomination that taught something way different than the other one sharing a preacher. But they rotate as if it makes no difference what's said as long as it's done in a respectful and meaningful way. God is our Father, and he means what he says. You ask why a certain fire? Because the I am said so. We glorify God, honor God, by keeping his word, his commandments, keeping it as holy, as special. That's why we try so hard to make sure that we follow the examples that we read the Bible of what the early churches did that we're so careful to try to find authority for the things that we do in our worship? Let me ask you, how can man, sinful man, how can man decide what God wants? I I think a lot of you all, I think a lot of Josh, I wouldn't let Josh decide what God wants. That would be dangerous. You don't need to let me decide what God wants. We all sin. We fall short. And we can't think on God's level. So how can we suppose that we know what God will want unless we follow what he says in his word? If we don't regard him as holy and glorify him like he deserves by doing exactly what he told us to do, if we begin to offer worship how we want and when we want, our worship becomes more of one of convenience and not of conviction. We don't we can't say that we believe God if we just do it the way we want to do it. We need to be reminded every once in a while about Nathan and about who. And there's lots of stories like this in the Bible. That's just one. We need to remember that so that we remember our place, that we're humble in the presence of God. And we need to remember how serious serving God is. 1 Corinthians 10 11 says, Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instructions on whom the end of the ages has come. We're in that last age. The kingdom is here now. There's not going to be another time. This time, this has fell on us, the end of the ages. 
We have to follow God's word. God, that I am, his son Jesus said in Matthew 10, 32, Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him I will also confess before my Father which is in heaven. He also said in Mark 16, 16, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. In Revelations 2.10, that same I am son said, Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. We're supposed to do these things because he said so. We don't have to have a why. He said so. We need to do those. I'm afraid sometimes we're like the little boy swinging the switch, though. We're swinging the big stick. God's told us to put it down, but we haven't done it. And he's kept. Second Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness. He hasn't come yet. He hasn't given us what we deserve yet, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God is showing patience for all of us. If you haven't obeyed him, his count may be way up above 100, like I said, that little boy. But there is going to be a day of reckoning. You have the chance to repent, to turn back, to do what Jesus said to do, to become one of his children. You also have the chance that if you haven't, that you've done that, but you haven't been living like you ought to, God's patient. He's giving you a chance to repent before it's too late. If there's anything that we can do for you, please come forward as we stand and sing.